Hey there, I'm Caitlin Daly, and you're listening to Listen Up, the podcast series that shows you how to get more out of the music you love. Please note, this episode contains content that may be challenging for some of our listeners. Do you remember this powerful moment at the Grammys? That was Kesha performing her hit song, Praying, alongside popular artists Camila Cabello and Cyndi Lauper. The performance brought attention to the Me Too movement and celebrated Kesha's victory over her producer and rapist, Dr. Luke. The chorus that you heard behind them was the Resistance Revival Chorus, an all-women choir that sings as a tribute to the historical importance of music in protest movements. Inspired by the Women's March, the Resistance Revival Chorus is intended to build local, inclusive communities of women singing together, embracing the power of communal music making as a tool for political resistance. The Resistance Revival Chorus is just one of so many examples of using music as a tool for resistance, either writing it specifically for a cause or a song that later became repurposed and recognized as a reflection of a cause. There are many examples of resistance in music across the history of the United States, including the American Revolution. Composer William Billings wrote the lyrics and music to the popular tune Chester to galvanize Americans against the British. This song includes lines like, Let tyrants shake their iron rod, and slavery clank her galling chains. We fear them not, we trust in God, New England's God forever reigns. Take a listen to the hymn being sung in its choral setting. Fast forward to the mid-20th century, when the country was saturated with protest, from the civil rights movement to the Vietnam War. Many songs from this era still resonate with today's listeners, like Strange Fruit, penned by poet Abel Mirapal and made famous by Billie Holiday. It drew attention to lynchings and still makes a deep impact on listeners today. Blood on the leaves And blood at the road Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Written as a commentary on inequality, Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind has been considered a protest song since its debut in 1962. How many seas must the white dove sail Before she sleeps in the sand Isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind Hip-hop is an entire genre of music that was inspired by and influential to the history of resistance music. 
Early hip-hop provided a platform for black artists to respond to systemic inequality. A great example of this is Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five's The Message from 1982. Listen to the words which describe his neighborhood's living conditions. Broken glass everywhere. People pissing on the stage. You know they just don't care. I can't take the smell. Can't take the noise. Got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room. Roaches in the back. Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far. Because a man with the touch of repossessed my car. Don't push me. Because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Another hip-hop group that made a name for itself was Public Enemy, in particular their song Fight the Power. In Fight the Power, Chuck D and Flava Flav extensively sample clips and music from African-American culture, including pieces of Africa Bambata's 1982 hit Planet Rock, a Branford Marsalis saxophone solo, and civil rights activist Thomas TNT Todd, among others. Listen to the message conveyed in these few lines. While hip-hop may have started in the United States, it has now grown worldwide. In Palestine, the group Palestine Street carries on Grandmaster Flash and Public Enemy's groundwork by rapping about life in the Daisha camp, an area with many instances of violence between Israeli forces and Palestinian youth. The group now runs workshops to help channel the community's anger into music rather than physical force. مش عادي تمشي تعيش في مخيم لاجئين جوا فلسطين مش عادي تمرك عن الحاجز تحس حالك هادي مش عادي كيف الكل بكسم في بلادي مش عادي في طفولة In the classical music world, one composer who wrote carefully crafted resistance music was Russian composer Dmitry Shostakovich. In Russia in the 1930s, Composers had to be very careful not to anger Joseph Stalin because some life-threatening consequences could definitely follow. Shostakovich felt Stalin's wrath after the premiere of his opera, Lady Macbeth of the Msensk District. The Communist Party hated the modernist music that Shostakovich used to write, as well as the moral makeup of the content. They banned the opera from being performed for almost 30 years. Because he was smacked with such severe censorship, Shostakovich had to take it easy and play nice to the government for the next piece that he wrote, which would be his fifth symphony. The government liked this piece much better. It utilized soaring melodies and had a great fanfare at its conclusion, mirroring the glory of the USSR. However, Shostakovich reportedly told a few close confidants in private that what Stalin took as a celebration of himself was actually more of a caricature. Shostakovich was subtly poking at Stalin's character rather than celebrating it. Some musicologists think that the end of the first movement is not a straight-ahead fanfare, but instead that the repetitive high-pitched notes that come along with the fanfare are like being hit over the head again and again. Take a listen.
Sometimes resistance music is written deliberately for a cause, but other times groups of protesters will commandeer songs that were originally written for another purpose as anthems for their movement. One example of this is Nkose Sikale e Africa, which translates to Lord Bless Africa. A choir master named Enoch Makai Santonga wrote the words and music in 1899. Take a quick listen to the hymn. You'll notice that the harmony sounds a lot like hymns you'd hear in Western churches. This is because European missions founded choral groups that toured around and performed Western hymns in the 1890s, and the trend cut on in South Africa. The words were powerfully unifying, asking the Lord to bless the continent and help her spirit to rise up high. Its popularity grew enough that by 1912, it was sung at meetings of the group that would become the African National Congress, which is the group that was led for much of its history by Nelson Mandela and fought directly against apartheid. Because the song was so popular, it was banned by the South African government. They viewed the song as a subversive threat to the regime. The white English-speaking band Bright Blue sampled the hymn in their 1983 song, Weeping. Weeping was especially geared towards whites who turned a blind eye to injustice. Listen to the second half of the chorus, and you'll hear the background synthesizer, followed by a familiar tune. It was a roaring, it was After apartheid ended in 1990, and Kose Sukele e Africa became a perfect candidate for the post-apartheid nation. It shared the title of the national anthem with an Afrikaans song for several years, and in 1996, the government decided to integrate aspects from both songs into a sort of composite national anthem. The new anthem had four verses in four different languages, Zulu, Sesotho, Afrikaans, and English. Let's listen to the Afrikaans and English sections. <laughs> While there is still some discussion over whether this combined version is as unifying as it seems, there's no question that Nkose Sikele e Africa transformed into an anthem of resistance against oppression and is still celebrated for the power that it brings to people who struggle under similar regimes. The song also tells the story about the power of people physically singing together. A 2013 study found communal breathing among choral members led to the synchronization of their heart rates. Imagine that. We all know that a group of singing protesters thinks the same way on a matter, but their actual physical bodies are also synchronized. The power of music can go so much deeper than just melodies. Examples like this continue to today. For example, Kendrick Lamar's We Gon' Be All Right has become a unifying chant for the group Black Lives Matter. 
Here's a group of 2016 protesters chanting just that one line at a downtown L.A. protest rally. To get a closer look at resistance music, we called activist and musician Stefan Brackett. His band, Flowbots, is probably best known for their 2008 hit, Handlebars. I can ride my bike with no handlebars, no handlebars, no handlebars. I can ride my bike with no handlebars, no handlebars, no handlebars. Look at me, look at me, hands in the air like it's good to be alive. And I'm a famous rapper, even when the past are all crooked D. I can show you how to do do I can show you how to scratch a record. I can take apart the remote control, but I can almost put it back together. But Brackett, also known by his stage name Br'er Rabbit, has been deep into resistance music for much longer than just that one song. In addition to touring and performing with the band, Brackett appears as a frequent speaker at conferences, trainings, and academic institutions. In 2007, Flowbots founded Youth On Record, an organization that offers musical training and recording facilities as a tool for youth development for at-risk communities. In 2014, Flowbots created the No Enemies Project, a series of public workshops dedicated to recovering the power of collective song as a tactic for social movements. Welcome to Listen Up. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your career? Absolutely. So my name is Stephen Brackett. My rap name is Br'er Rabbit, and I've been with the band Flowbots for about 11 years. And uh, we have always been using our music and our platform as a way to point uh, attention back towards people's power and hopefully uh, bring up some questions about how they can interrogate this world and make it a better place. Did you start off writing, you know, just just music, or was it always resistance music? So uh, Johnny Five who's the other MC, uh, and myself, we have been friends since I was in the fourth grade and he was in the fifth. And when we first got together, it wasn't actually music that we were, uh, that was our, the art that we were messing with. It was actually comic books. And uh, the kind of comic books that we gravitated towards were ones that dealt with different types of societal injustice. So we really loved X-Men, which was always about like, a group of people who are very gifted, but by but by like a coincidences of birth, were not being accepted. But even so, they fight for a society that rejected them. So we were really attracted to those kind of stories. So when we were writing our own comic books, we leaned heavy into it. So if you ever to like look at the comic books that we uh, came up with when we were kids, the show, the social justice overtones are so heavy-handed, it's ridiculous. So that's like kind of always been the home base for us. So like later on, when we both fell in love with hip hop together, that same kind of aesthetic carried forward into our music. So it's, it's been there from day How one. How do you sort of define, you know, resistance music? What, what kind of goes into it? Um, when I am thinking about like the term resistance music, um, I think about the framing that a mentor of ours used to put forward. His, uh, his name is Vincent Harding. And um, he would always kind of agitate us. He would always ask us like, my brothers, why aren't you uh, doing more? Why are you young activists not using music the way that we use music back in the Southern Freedom Movement? And it, it took a while like, with his framing to realize that there's, there's a difference between writing a gold record and writing songs for people in the streets. And uh, we started calling that designation, we called that difference, like songs that you pay for, like that you like, pay for on a CD or streaming or if you're going to a concert, we call, we call those songs a performance 
because I, it's just kind of like there's an audience and a performer. There's a virtuosity that um, is kind of accorded to that person. Um, and that, and you, you want to watch them. You want to participate in seeing them. But then on the other side, there are songs of power. And we feel like songs of power are kind of put out there in a way where it's, it's put forth to increase the sense of community, uh, togetherness, and emotional resonance and strength of a group of people, of a cause, of a time. Um, so I would say like resistance music is specifically uh, songs of power, songs towards empowering a people or a cause. Um, and not necessarily having that same kind of uh, commercial lens or that uh, exchange of goods and services as Do a part Do you think of that we will always have resistance music of, of some type? Do you think that there's ever going to be a day where it's like, all right, all right, well, now we can just sing like happy songs? Or do you think we're always going to have resistance music? Oh, I, I hope not. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I think if we ever get to the point in time where we're finding there's no resistance on our lips attached to harmony, that means that Aldous Huxley's like Soma uh, uh, prophecy has like come fully to fruition and that we are so out of touch with ourselves and our passions. Like we should always have something that we are up in arms against. And we're singing, we're screaming beautifully about, which is what I think like resistance music is. It's, it's the outcry of that, which is often unexpressed. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I heartily believe we'll always have something unless something terribly goes wrong uh, with the human consciousness. Like, we're talking dystopian to the. We're just all, yeah, we're just all dead inside. We just walk around gray. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so if you were a, you know, a, a young person or, or somebody who is younger trying to get into this whole um, kind of resistance music and, and writing it, what kind of um, advice would you give to them? Yes, like if I were not so old and wizened, <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would step from my craggy mountaintop, sweep my beard aside, and and, and hand the the, ta the stone tablets to these youngins and say, um, <laughs> um, well, I, I think for one, um, I think one of the biggest weapons we have against injustice is actually curiosity, and um, that kind of curiosity, that kind of child mind, that kind of playfulness. If that can, if that can be the light that goes into the darker places of, of uh, the human problem, um, I think it makes it easier for you to like be able to pull beauty from it, and and to make that a bit more concrete, I think that means also like looking at becoming a student of what has come before, um, and and like being able to kind of like add to our repertoire some of the songs from many, many causes ago and find like, be surprised by how relevant most of them are even to this day. Um, um, and at the same time, uh, being able to take that curiosity into the stories of the people that you're hoping to represent. Um, the beautiful thing about music is that it strikes where the armor isn't, mm. and uh, and it's a it's a it's a piece of technology that uh, communicates emotion, and as armored as we can be against intellectual arguments, particularly at this day and age, um, 
is how uh, vulnerable we are also conversely to something said beautifully, succinctly, with the right melody and harmony, it will go through like an arrow. Um, and I think becoming a student of that power is also something that will just, it's fun. Mm -hmm. Part of, okay, okay. To rewind a little bit, I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I'd also say is that like, there's a whole bunch of treasure for young people who are trying to get into music and are going down the, 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 the route of power. Because everything right now is directing move, uh, musicians towards units and sales and impressions. And that trend right now is in many ways uh, hamstringing the creative process. So I'd also say that for any musician who's looking to like, say, like, I just want to be able to, like, to speak truly and deeply to what is happening in the times and hopefully giving people some medicine uh, with this music, you will probably find a fertile and open and wide road and probably a lot of audiences as well. Mm. Um, it's, it's, the less tre it's the less trod, but like pretty wide road at this point in time. Um, but I think that also means it's probably the most fun. Mm -hmm. So if a musician is looking to have a lot of fun and they're curious and they want to be tapped in to something that um, will keep them going, I think that this time is right for musicians with that kind of orientation. Music of all genres and countries has the power to say things that can't only be said with words. The act of making music and then singing it together can build solidarity that is powerful enough to create real social change. To play us out, here's a sample of Joe Scarborough's song, Stand, written after he was inspired by the 2017 Women's March in Washington. And how the world turns violently. Listen Up is hosted by me, Caitlin Daly. Our research assistant is Marissa Moore. Listen Up is produced by the New Haven Symphony Orchestra in partnership with the School of Communication, Media, and the Arts at Sacred Heart University. Will not go down.